this spirit to be maintained. I need saints of God who are sensitive in the spirit to continue to intercede in prayer and the flow of the spirit and the word that's about to go forth. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There are those amongst us who would commit to doing so. You may be seated. Hallelujah, hallelujah. But remain sensitive to the spirit. I feel to go forward with the word because I sense that there is There are questions that people have. There are confusion that's being brought against you in the spirit and that you need to press through in trust and in faith. This was not the message that I anticipated speaking this morning, but this morning as I got up early to pray and prepare, the Lord changed direction. So I have three quick Verses from the book of Job, Job 23 and verse 3. I need to clear my eyes so I can read better. Hallelujah. Job 23 and 3. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. Job 25 and 4. How then can a man be justified? With God. How then can a man be justified with God? And how can he be clean that is born of a woman? Job 14, 14. If a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. These are three great issues with which Job wrestles, and Job is, in fact, indicative of mankind at large throughout history. Had so many questions, did not understand, and yet persevered. These are arguably the three greatest issues with which mankind has wrestled and continues to wrestle. The things that Job wrestled with are universal to us all. That I, where can I find God? Can I be justified with God? If a man dies, shall he live again? Men and women unable to answer such great questions on their own. They become frustrated and disillusioned about God. Feel that there are some this morning who are frustrated and disillusioned. You've asked questions time and again. You're trying to find answers coming up empty. But it is because mankind seeks these answers for themselves, by themselves, and of themselves that leads us to frustration and emptiness. God does not lead and guide by frustration. It is when we, we butt up against God's purposes and the plan with which he's carrying out those purposes that we find ourselves at odds with him and frustrated. It is not God's 
leading but our own attempts at usurping God's process that invite frustration. Because the answers are not found within us. The answers are not found in the trappings of this world. But as the title of the message this morning, that mankind's greatest questions are answered by the greatest man, Jesus Christ. Mankind's greatest questions are answered by the greatest man, Jesus Christ. Looking at these questions in the order in which Christ answered them. First, the question of an invisible God. Job cried, oh, that I might know where I might find him. Later on in Job 23, he said, if I go to the east, God is not there. If I go to the west, I do not see him. When he is at work in the north, I catch no sight of him. When he turns to the south, I cannot see him. Job knew what it was like to pray and to pray and to intercede and yet seemingly be unable to find God, to touch God, to get an answer from God. For millennia, mankind has tried to fashion the tangible representations of God so that they would have a visible object to which they could pray. Wood and stone or elements of nature or even exalting other people as deities. Didn't matter what the object was, but it had to be visible. It had to be something I could see and touch and, and feel. And that because I, I just can't wrestle and wrap my mind around this concept of an invisible God. They felt that if it couldn't be seen, that it couldn't be known. And this alone is proof of mankind's struggle with the concept of an invisible God. Even Israel, God's own chosen people, fell time and time again into idol worship. From the time they came out of Egypt until they were, the time they were carried away into captivity again. God even had to hide the body of Moses because they likely would have stuffed and mounted him to worship him. They rejected the theocracy that God intended for them and demanded a king that they could touch and see and hear. And today in our world, the scientific empirical method demands that we only believe that which we can see and touch and hear and smell or taste. We've learned the lesson so well that we put our trust in the material things of this world. My safety is found in, in having a home, a car, boat, TVs, computers, wardrobes, bank accounts, whatever. The world says that seeing is believing, and yet Jesus told Thomas that blessed are they which have not seen and yet believed. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The first verse of Hebrews 11 says that faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It, this faith, is the evidence of things we cannot see. And verse 6 of the same chapter says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And we, when we attempt to solve our own problems by natural means alone, we reveal our struggle to trust an invisible God. But this great universal question of Job's is answered 
in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. There is no longer any mystery as to where my God is. For God was manifest in the flesh. Jesus Christ was Emmanuel, God with us. He was the Word made flesh who dwelt among us full of grace and truth. All the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in him bodily. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God was no longer a fleeting image, a burning bush, or a glory cloud, or some angelic theophany that would soon be gone from sight. But he walked and talked among us. People touched him, and he touched them. He tired, he wept, he hungered, he bled, and he died. Which brings us to the second greatest question of mankind, and that's found in Job's words. How then can a man be justified with God? How can a man be justified with God? And I feel in my spirit that there are those today who are struggling with this question specifically. You deal with guilt and shame and condemnation, and you're caught in a cycle that seems to continue over and over again, despite what your attempts to solve. How then can man be justified with God? The answer is found in the propitiation of Christ. Mankind with the sin of Adam inherited his Adamic nature. And with it, the inability to stand before a holy, sinless God. The dispensations that preceded the incarnation failed to justify mankind. The hundreds of thousands of animals sacrificed simply pushed sin ahead. The law, with all its do's and don'ts, was insufficient to justify any one of us. Indeed, the law's greatest claim was that it was a schoolmaster simply to bring us to the one who could justify us. No matter the effort expended, we alone could not bridge the gap. But that gap could only be bridged by an old rugged cross. Hallelujah, hallelujah. First Corinthians chapter 6. Paul writes, beginning at verse 9, he says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Oh, how there are times that we are acutely aware of our unrighteousness. And we question whether we are able to ever inherit the kingdom of God. Paul continues, Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Such were some of you and I. We round out, we find ourselves in this list. But Paul didn't stop there because it turns on one little word, but, but, hallelujah, hallelujah, but ye are washed, 
but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified, just as we sang about just a moment ago. Hallelujah. Washed and cleansed and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. It was for our sins that Jesus Christ died. It was for your sins that Jesus died. He was our propitiation. Without the shedding of blood is no remission. And to redeem something, something else had to be given in its stead. And for all the sins of all mankind, for all time, nothing else would suffice. So Jesus Christ, the sinless Lamb of God, gave his life. He put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Not grudgingly, but lovingly. For the joy that was set before him to prepare himself a bride to which he would one day be enjoined. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Habakkuk's prophetic words that the just shall live by faith were quoted by Paul as he explained to the Galatians how that it is our faith in Christ by which we are justified. Not our works trying to overcome our sinful nature, no matter what sacrifices or what deeds that we try to do, it will never be enough. But the just shall live by faith. Paul further explained how that Abraham was justified by faith 430 years before the law. And so now we are the spiritual children of Abraham in that we also are justified by faith in Jesus Christ and his redemptive work. By grace are ye saved through faith. To the Philippians, Paul wrote in, in Philippians chapter 3, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. If you possibly had any confidence, Paul said, I could do you one better. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, hallelujah. Which brings us to the third great question that Job asked. If a man die... Shall he live again? What happens after we pass from this life? 
And it is answered in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, hallelujah. If the question of an invisible God that we cannot see or touch is answered in the incarnation, and the answer whether we can be justified in God is answered by his propitiation, then the answer of what comes after this life is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, hallelujah. This question of immortality has gripped mankind since Adam and Eve lost theirs because we were not created to die. But Adam and Eve sinned, lost their immortality, and so their death has been passed to us. The psalmist wrote that our lifetime is 70 years, or if we are strong, 80 years. But the years are full of hard work and pain. They pass quickly, and then we are gone. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after that, the judgment. And unlike their trust in natural things or their attempts at justification, mankind is under no illusion that life on earth will indeed come to an end. Modern medicine and healthy living may add a couple of years to the average lifespan, but dust shall invariably return to dust. And it was with just such questions of immortality and eternity that the Corinthians wrestled, to whom Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that if our hope in Christ is only for this life. Perhaps that's what we struggle with. Jesus came and promised life and life more abundantly, and, and we seek that abundant life here and now. We pour our efforts and our focus into that. But Paul said if our hope is in this life alone, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And he is only the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. As I read this passage this morning, early this morning, I received a text informing me with news of my grandmother. I've been sick the last 10 days or so, and while my family went to visit with her and to see her, having been admitted to the hospital, she's been there a couple of weeks, it found a mass that turned out to be benign, but she was still losing weight, and so they were continuing to run tests. I received a text this morning confirming that she'd been diagnosed with cancer, 
the bile ducts. It is inoperable. She's too weak for chemotherapy. She's in her 90s now. My, my head tells me all the right things. My emotions aren't quite so convinced. But I believe it was no mistake. There was this very passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that I was in the midst of reading when I received that text. Because Paul continued to write at length to the Corinthians in verse 42. That it is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die. But they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness. But they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness but they will be raised in strength. Hallelujah, hallelujah. No more sickness, no more pain. Hallelujah, no more parting over there. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. The scripture tells us the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last man, Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. But what comes first is the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Paul, who was carried up into the heavenly earth, hallelujah, and saw things that cannot be uttered, now shares a secret with the church that we will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye. When the last trumpet is blown, when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled, that death is swallowed up in victory. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, for that day that death is swallowed up in victory. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I don't have to wait for that day to claim that promise now. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your, your victory? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand together. Oh, Lord, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Oh, 
Paul promised the Romans that if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. That Holy Ghost that God wants to live and breathe inside of you. Hallelujah. That Holy Ghost that he has poured out, that he desires to abide within you day by day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That faith in him that justifies us beyond our works. Hallelujah. That spirit is going to catch you up. Hallelujah. Whatever questions you may have this morning, questions about whether you're good enough or worthy enough, the answer is no, you're not. But his answer is yes, I am. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, Jesus says, come to me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I've got life and life more abundantly and life eternal. Whatever answers you are seeking, they will not be found in any self-help philosophies of this world. They will not be found in the trust of the material goods. But mankind's greatest questions are answered in the greatest man, the incarnation of Jesus, the propitiation of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. Hallelujah. Whatever questions that you are wrestling with, whatever you are frustrated with this morning, Jesus Christ is the answer for you. Hallelujah. This altar is open. Let's spend some time. Hallelujah. Will you bring your questions to the Lord? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He is the answer for whatever you ask of him. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Quit trying in your own strength. Quit trying to to wrestle yourself above and beyond your situation, but trust God, hallelujah. For there will come one day that we will leave this earth, these dying bodies, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, we thank you, Jesus, Jesus. God, we look forward, God, to that transformation. Oh, God, hallelujah. Begin to shape us and mold us and transform us by your spirit even now, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God, the Holy Ghost, Lord, that you desire to pour out. God, that is for each and every one of us. Lord, for whosoever will, Lord, hallelujah, hallelujah. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, God, I pray against those spirits of condemnation that are of the devil, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God, you bring conviction, Lord, always with grace and hope to change, God, with the power, Lord, hallelujah, not of ourselves, God, but of your spirit, God, Lord, to live above ourselves, Lord, hallelujah. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, 